Let's open our Bibles to John, the Gospel of John. That's page number 1594 in my Bible. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. Okay, a little review here. Uh, New Testament books. How many? Can you read? 27. How many in the Old Testament? 39 for a grand total of 66 books. Okay, so these are the numbers. Uh, what are the numbers for the Old Testament again? Okay, got that one down. So the New Testament is 521.1, which is just 12 turned around. And we're going to break those down in coming weeks just so you can start to get a handle on it. But because uh, it's kind of broken up into two sections, the the middle section, we have history, right? Well, actually, let me ask you, what's the first section? History, of course. And then what? Letters. And the letters are broken up into basically two sections. And then what's the last one? Prophecy, right. So that's, that's pretty clear. Now, um, thinking about this section of history, the first five books, uh, what, are those, what are those five books? Most people have these memorized just because it's just kind of like, a common knowledge kind of thing. But you might not have them all. So, so uh, who can tell me what the first five are? Maybe we don't know what they are. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, right? Let's just say those together. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Now, the interesting thing, just a little bit of, of, of background about these you know, we, we saw that last week, we saw that the first three are called the synoptic gospels, S-Y-N. They, they, they're similar. They, they've seen some of the same kinds of things. And then John is, is like got 90% of material that wasn't found in the synoptic gospels. So it's kind of a very different picture. But when you think about the writers of these five books, right? Just, let's just think about this for a minute. Matthew, who was Matthew? Anybody know? Yeah. Matthew was one of the apostles, right? He was one of the 12 disciples, right? And Matthew, his occupation was a tax collector, right? Quite, quite the uh, profession. How about, how about the, the Gospel of Mark? And these are, they're called Gospels, good news, because they present the good news of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark was written by a guy named Mark, right? Well, it's obvious. But who was this guy, Mark? Okay, Matthew was an apostle, a disciple of Jesus. Mark, who was he? Mark has an interesting history, and, and sometimes he was called John Mark. But, but, but he has an interesting history. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples, right? But uh, before he wrote the gospel, he spent an awful lot of time with Peter, now, before that, though, while he was still young, he went out on a missionary journey with who? With the Apostle Paul. And, and he kind of like flaked out, and he went home. He said, I'm going home. I can't, I can't hang with you people. And he went home, and, and then Barnabas, you know, said, on the second journey, Barnabas said to Paul, well, let's bring, let's bring Mark again. And Paul said, no way, we're not bringing that guy. Uh-uh. Because look what he did last time. He gave up. He quit. We don't want no quitters. And then 
now, you know, time went on, and then, you know, Peter kind of took him under his wing, so to speak, and he spent time with Peter, and, and then when you read the Gospel of Mark, it's kind of like, it's kind of like explosive, kind of like Peter, really. But, but what God did in the life of Mark to kind of restore him back to, to service was pretty incredible, too. And then later, Paul says, you know, and, and don't forget to bring Mark with you, because he's profitable for me in the ministry. How about Luke? The third one, Luke. Was he one of the 12 apostles? No, he wasn't. So uh, what kind of occupation? We really don't know what Mark, his occupation, we don't really know kind of what he did, if he did anything for like a living or whatever. But, but Luke we do know because it says that he was a doctor, he was a physician. And when Luke writes, he kind of writes with that kind of perspective. So... Luke got to hang out with who? With Paul. This is kind of interesting how this all fits together, right? Matthew was there with Jesus. He was, he was an eyewitness. He's one of the apostles. Uh, Mark got to hang out with Peter. Luke got to hang out uh, with Paul. And he kind of, you know, went on missionary journeys with that. You can read about it. And then, of course, the Gospel of John, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Changed forever by the love of Jesus. How about the book of Acts? Luke, right. So Luke got to write two of these very, very foundational writings in the history of the Christian church and the faith. Just a little bit, you know, I want you to kind of have an idea. Well, these, are, these were people who were actually on the scene, people who were hanging out with uh, you know, apostles and disciples of Jesus in these writings that we have uh, today are incredible. Okay, so getting back to the Gospel of John, why was the Gospel of John written? We looked at this last week. It was written that you what? May believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. These things were written that we would believe. And we would believe two things. And as we go through the Gospels, we go through this book, we, we, we remember, you know, is he fulfilling what, his, what he set out to fulfill? I think so. And from verse 1 on, we see he begins to actually fulfill that goal of his to, to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he's the Anointed One, and that he is the Son of God or God the Son, found in every chapter of the Gospel of John, and that believing... We would have life. So today, let's go ahead and open up to chapter 1. Let's start reading there in verse 1, chapter 1. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning because the, the important thing to ask the question, and, and again, John's purpose in writing is, who is this Jesus? Who is he? So John 1.1 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And then I want you to jump down to verse 14. It says the word, we just saw that in verse 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of one, the one and only, or of the only begotten, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is this Jesus? Now, let me just take a little uh, diversion here because you're all interested in this. We looked at how many verses? We looked at about four verses. We're going to look at these about four verses, really, a little more than four, but about four. Now, uh, if you know to the answer to this question, you will get five donuts. Okay? How many verses are there in the Gospel of John? Time's up. Because some of you looking up on your phone right now. I'm going to get those five donuts, yes. 879 verses in the Gospel of John. So, I, you know, I, I just did a little math just to figure this out. If we do four verses a week, we will finish this book and we can have another potluck in 4.2 years. 4.2 years. Okay? My thinking is this. That should be long enough to fulfill the challenge. Okay? You know what the challenge is? What is the challenge? Read the Gospel of John. Oh, gosh. You know, Norman just said it, and it made me, uh, made me think about this, you know. He's facing a challenge, right? The challenge is to get that working again, right? Is it going to be easy? No. Is it, is it going to be, you know, he's going to have to put some effort into it. He's going to have to, it might even be a little painful, probably, right? To fulfill that challenge. And so for you and I, is it going to be easy? No, because our flesh says, oh, don't bother. The world says, uh, you know, there's a really good show on tonight, or so many other things. The challenge. The challenge. Read the book. Read the book. Read the book of the Gospel of John. Now, I'm not planning on taking 4.2 years because I don't think, I don't know how many years I have left, to be honest with you. So it would be kind of, uh, let's see, 62. I'd be like old, you know? So, so I want you to be thinking about this. When I do sections, I pick sections. Again, the idea is for you to try to figure out how many verses is he going to do next? And then, and then think, well, if it's four verses, we're still on that 4.2 year thing. You know, if it was two verses, it's eight and a half years, right? I thought about just doing verse one. And I thought, I don't know. I might lose them. I might lose them in verse six or, or year six. <laughs> so we're going to look at four verses today. In the beginning was what? The word. In the beginning was the word. These are powerful, powerful verses. The first 18 verses of the Gospel of John are called the prologue. It's like the, like the foundational, the beginning, and then, he, and then he expands on all those through all those uh, subjects and things throughout the whole rest of the gospel, the prologue. In the beginning was the word. This is like so powerful. Now we look at the other gospels and, you know, they talk about, you know, being in what, Bethlehem and there are genealogies, you know, from this person to this person and that kind of thing. Here, 
Again, this is radically different, isn't it? He goes all the way back where? To the beginning. In the beginning. Now, does that remind you of any, any, anything else? Genesis 1.1. The same words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here he says, in the beginning was the word. There is such an obvious connection with Genesis 1.1. as such an obvious connection between who the word is and this Genesis 1.1 about God created the heavens and the earth. It's radical. It's incredible. Again, he begins very quickly in verse 1, fulfilling this reason about why he wrote, stating that Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't go back to Bethlehem. He goes to the point before creation, before the world was. This idea about the Word, now let's just, we've already read verse 14, so we really know who the Word is, right? You make that connection, anybody? The Word is who? The Word is Jesus, because the Word became flesh, took on a human body in the incarnation at at that point in Bethlehem. But before that, He was already there. He was there in the beginning with the Word. So what does that tell us about Him? It tells us that he existed before creation. It tells us that he had no beginning, that he was already there. He existed from all eternity, this word. Now, this word, word, is the Greek word what? Logos, or logos, depending how you want to pronounce it. This word is only used four times uh, in in the New Testament uh, of Jesus. And it's all used by John. Here, in verse 1, in verse 14, we already read it. And then in the beginning of 1 John, he goes and and speaks about this very same concept all again. He says, that which was from the beginning. And then he calls him the Logos, or the Word of Life. And then by John again, in the book of Revelation, it says this. He is dressed, in Revelation 19, he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God, the Logos of God. Radical, isn't it? Who is this Jesus? Who is this man? Who is this one that we're talking about here? He is God, isn't it? Very, very clear. Now, the the word word in our English usage of it anyways is what? It's, let me read you a definition, a unit of speech by which we express ourselves. So it's a, it's a way we express who we are by, we use words. And it's amazing, uh, you know, that, that the human being, uh, you know, is the only one that can really communicate in this type of way. Oh, you can teach a parrot to say words, but they're not really communicating. They're just repeating. But, but for a human being to learn, and they start to learn when they're very, very young, when they're little babies, to, to, to speak words, right? And they need help with it, but mostly they learn just by listening. But they begin to express who they are. They, they begin to express what they feel. They begin to express, you know, their person. And this really is what he's talking about here when he says, in the beginning was the word, this expression it's, it's the revealing, it's the expression of God himself to mankind in the person of Jesus. That's really what it is. God expressed himself, he proved himself, he showed himself to us 
in the person of Jesus, who he is, one person wrote, and how much he loves us. He's the word. He's the expression of God. Notice what it says there in the second part. It says he was with God. And then it says, and the word, what? Was God. He was with God and he was God. So there's some other interesting things about this idea about about who Jesus is, who, who this Jesus is. It says he was with God, right? But it also says that he was God. So that's interesting. You've got to think about that and, 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 and think about what he's saying. First of all, he's, he's with God, so there's a, he's separate. He's distinct, right? He's separate and distinct, yet he is one with God. Jesus said it, didn't he? He said, I and the Father are what? I and the Father are one. So yet there's this distinction, and it, and it gets into the, this whole doctrine or the teaching of who the Trinity is. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God only, though. One God in three persons, separate and distinct, but yet one. And the Word was God. The Word was God. You know, every false religion, every cult, the number one issue where they go haywire is in who Jesus is. This is so radically important who Jesus is, because if they, if they realized and they accepted and really understood who he was, they wouldn't go off in some weird direction. They would fall before him and worship him, trust him, and call him Lord. The word was God. In other words, Jesus is God. So very, very clear. But why, you know, why do people have such trouble with it? Because they don't want to accept it. They don't want to bow before him. But one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he is not, notice it, it says that he is God. He is not God-like, right? He is not divine, it doesn't say that. He is not as the as the Jehovah's Witnesses mistranslate this passage, he's not a God. He is God. He's not a great, just a great teacher, though he is a great teacher. I think he's the best teacher ever. He's not just a wise man, right? But was he wise? He was absolutely full of wisdom. He's not a prophet, though he certainly, not just a prophet, though he certainly is a prophet. He told them of things that were to come. But he was God. He is God. Paul talks about it in Philippians. He says in chapter 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And then it talks about him, he, he, he laid down, he gave his, you know, he emptied himself and took on the form of a man. Being in very nature God. Hebrews, the writer says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation 
of his being. This is radically important. Again, this is what sets true, true Christianity apart from every other false, every other weird, every other strange uh, doctrine and teaching. Jesus Christ is God with us. Look at verse 2. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So it speaks about him as being what? It speaks about him as being a creator. Now, I don't know about you, but created things can't create, right? So this speaks about him as being creator. Now, it's not something we, we normally think about a lot, that, that Jesus uh, was the creator. We, we know God created the heavens and the earth, but, but it says here that Jesus was more or less the agent of creation. It came through him. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. It all came through him. He's not a created being. He is the creator. That's incredible to think about it, too. Paul talks about it in Colossians. He says, by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. All things created by him and for him. You and I, we exist for him. That's, that's why we were created. We are created by him and for him. That's kind of incredible. That's, that's, that's radically important for you and I to know. We talk about Jesus, we, we should have this picture in our mind that, that He is God, He's the Word, He's the expression of God, the second person of the Trinity. He is the Creator. All things were created through Him, by Him, and for Him. And that when we read that story of the Word becoming flesh in, in Bethlehem, We think of who it is, not just this guy that just got a start there. Let's read this as an interesting version. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He became human and made His home among us made his dwelling among men. He came down and lived here amongst us. You know, when you step back and look at that, and you think about that he became flesh. He had to come from somewhere to make his dwelling among us. He came from heaven. He came from the Father, the presence of, of the Father and the Spirit. He came down to be with us. He humbled himself and came down and made his dwelling amongst us. John said, we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. You know, when I think about glory, you know, we, we use that word sometimes, you know, but when you think about something having glory, I think about God having glory. And so again, John says, we've seen his glory. We saw the glory in this one Jesus and, and again, he's making a very clear point that Jesus was God with us. Only God can have this kind of glory. 
the glory of the one and only, the, the only begotten, the glory of God, full of grace and truth. Interesting, you say, well, when did John see the glory in Jesus? Well, some say, you know, just by the way he lived, just by who he was, just by, you know, hanging out with him, there was something so radically different about this man that they saw the glory of God just like all over him. Just he was who he said he was. But I think it was more than that, too. Right. You all know when? Yeah, the Mount of Transfiguration. Right. I think it's Matthew 17, if I if I remember correctly. And and, and Peter, James and John were with him. They kind of hung out with him a lot. You know, the, those three guys, Peter, James and John. And, and they were up there, and it says that Jesus was kind of transformed. They call it transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. But he was kind of transformed before them, and, and he just took on this incredible uh, glory, really. And you know what Peter said. Let's, can we get some tents and put up some tents here? Like, we want to stay here forever. And, you know, like, not yet. Not time yet. The time will come. But John was there and he said, we have seen his glory. I wonder about you and I, have we seen his glory? Now we're not going to see, you know, we see in these, some of these movies, you know, and, and, and I, I like to watch a good Christian movies and, and biblical stories and you see them where things just start glowing and all that. But, but I think you and I can see his glory in a different way. We're not maybe going to see it with our eyes, but to, to, be, to get to know Jesus and to, to know who He is and have a relationship with Him and, and His glory, that radiance, you know, affecting our lives. I think you and I can, can see His glory in that way. I love that song, you know, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to know you. To see His glory, you and I. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, the only begotten who came from the Father. And back to verse 4, it says, In Him was life. In Him was life. Isn't that what He said in John 20, 31? His, his purpose was that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing we would have what? Life. In Him was life. As we believe in Him, as we trust in Him, He says we can have life. That's where we get life. That's where life comes from. And, and, and I talked about it last time. You know, it, it, it covers all kinds of life. It, it also covers physical life. But then we have, you know, spiritual life. We have eternal life and we have abundant life. In Him was life. We're, if we want to know what life is really all about, if we want to know the meaning of life, which I think is the, you know, the, uh, you know, ultimate human question, like what is, what is life? What is life all about? He says here in verse 4, in Him, in Jesus, is the word, the Logos, was life. And you, can, you and I can have that life through Him, through Jesus, to all who would believe and receive. Jesus said in John chapter 11, we'll get to it uh, Let's see, that John 11, that's about halfway, 2.1 years. Somewhere in uh, uh, 2020. No, I'm just kidding. 
We're going to get there next week. I'm going to go really fast. John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, he said. Where does life come from? Even though we might die physically, we're going to have life forever. But even before that happens, we have life here and now. I don't know about you, but I want life. Because a lot of what I experience in, in this world is not that life. It's not that great. But life in him was life. In him was life to all who would believe and receive. So we're going we're gonna to have communion now, right? And, and we're going we're gonna to pass out the cup and the bread in just a, a, a minute or two. I'm going to pray first and we're going to pass these things out. But I, I, I want you to, to think about this. Who are we celebrating? And think about the the, the ironic nature of this, if you jump down to verse 29 in chapter 1, again, the Gospel of John has it all from beginning to end. They all do, but this is such an incredible book. Look down to John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John, now this is John the Baptist, right? If you read the context, you'll see. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, or he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he said. He saw Jesus coming, and, and, he, and it was incredible. He said, This is the guy, this is the Lamb of God, and he's going to take away the sin of the world. We just read in John chapter 1, verse 4, that in him was life. And now John the Baptist is saying, He is the Lamb of God, and in the Jews' mind is a very clear picture that there was going to be a sacrifice that had to take place. And the sacrifice, you read it all through the Old Testament in the law, the sacrifice was to pay the price for sin, right? Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You and I, we celebrate communion. We celebrate the fact that he gave his life. He died on that cross so that you and I could have what? So that we could have life. To all who would believe and receive. Have you believed and received? If you have, you have a lot to celebrate. And maybe as we take, we're going we're gonna, to you know, be quiet here for just a, a few moments to, to just kind of reflect on who we are in him. Have we believed and received? And, and where are we with him in, in terms of the life that he came to give us? But perhaps we've never made that jump. We've never made that step and, and said, Jesus, I, I want life. I feel dead. I'm completely dead inside. I have no life in me. I need life. I want life. Well, you can pray. You can pray right now as I, as I pray and ask him to be that life for you. And I guarantee you, he will come in. He will, he will give you life because he is life, the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray, shall we? Our gracious Father, we thank you that you sent your son from heaven to be here with us. 
that we might have life. It came about through the cross, and that's very painful, but very difficult, yet, Jesus, you were willing to do what the Father asked. There was no other way but the cross. No other way that, that we might be saved, that we might have eternal life, abundant life, spiritual life, was except through the cross. Lord, we come, we humble ourselves before you. We bring to you who we are. Pray that you would work in us, work through us. Perhaps today you, you, you just needed this reconnecting to, to, to Jesus the Savior. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. You can just take a moment now and just say, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Perhaps you uh, have never received him. You, you know that today is the day. This is the day I'm going to do it. I'm going to open my life. I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart and life. And, and I need life. And you can simply pray with me right now and say, Jesus, I open my heart to you. I know you've been knocking for a long time. But I open the door today. And I ask you in. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and be my Savior today. 